Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We are doing a study in the book of Jeremiah, just talking about how to get deeply rooted in your faith, deeply rooted in God. So we, we turn to a section of Jeremiah that begins around chapter 11 and moves all the way to chapter 20, and we'll spend the next couple of weeks in this section. This section is a dramatic change in the book. The first 10 chapters are basically prophetic, but they're also poetic. So there's a a focus here on what God is going to do and what God is seeing in in the nations and in the hearts of the people. But from chapter 11 to chapter 20, we start getting a mixture of both what God is saying about what he's going to do with Judah and with the nations around there. But we get this picture of the narrative of what is happening to Jeremiah as he is God's messenger. And so what we see is Jeremiah's life is now in crisis. He, he, he's going through some very great difficulties because no one wants to hear his message. No one wants anything that he's trying to present to them. They don't want it to be true. They choose to not believe it's true. And so God intensifies Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. One of the issues in that day is that people were pretty wealthy. The economy was going pretty well. The religious services were all taking place. They were sacrificing daily in the temple. People were observing the holy days. And so the appearance was that everything was fine. So his message was counter to the appearance of things. And God began to give him some prophetic actions that he had to take in order to try to get across to the people how desperate their situation was. And one of the prophetic acts in this period of Jeremiah's life is he tells him, go and buy this waistcoat. So there's like a, it's like a belt, like a broad belt. It's actually kind of translated into a girdle type thing, but it, it had the finest of materials. It was embroidered beautifully, and it was, it was uh, adorned with jewels in it. So it was a It was a status symbol. It showed that you were rich. It showed that you could afford this really fine piece of clothing. And God said, go buy this, Jeremiah, and then take a journey. And Jeremiah had to go 60 60 miles out into the desert. And God said, bury it. Bury it in the ground. So he buries it, takes the journey back. And then God says, sometime later, go back and where you buried that and bring it up. So he brings it up, and it's filthy dirty. And the insects have started to eat the fabric, and the jewels are falling off, and, and it's, it's in disarray. And God says, that's who my people are. Poor Jeremiah. You know, he says to Jeremiah, things are going to get so bad, Jeremiah, you can't marry. You can't take a wife. You can't bring a family into this. And so Jeremiah... In the course of these nine or so chapters that we're looking at over the next couple weeks, in these chapters, Jeremiah begins to lament to God. As a matter of fact, we have six personal laments that are recorded. These are bitter, bitter prayers. It becomes really important that you understand why his prayers are such laments and why they are such bitter prayers. 
What Jeremiah finds is that he's in the center, he's in the middle of two crushing forces that are crushing him. And the one power and the one force that's crushing him is there's a relentlessness to the justice of God. There's a relentlessness to the holiness of God. There's a relentlessness to the righteousness of God. And Jeremiah is getting the downloads of God's God's justice and His holiness. And it's crushing Jeremiah. God is so holy and He's sharing it with Jeremiah. I've said to you before, I'll remind you again, when the word of the Lord came to a prophet, it wasn't just words. Hebrew there is the burden of the Lord comes to the prophet. So whatever God is bearing, He's giving at least a taste of it to Jeremiah. The injustice, the unholiness, the unrighteousness, and God's righteousness and holiness and justice is coming into Jeremiah's life. But on on the other side, he's living in this world. And in this world, he is facing the stubborn resistance of the people of his own family, his own village, his own nation, as well as the wickedness of the nations all around him. And so here he is, a man of God, and he's feeling the power of God's holiness and justice, but he's also seeing the stubborn resistance of his own people. And as he cries out to God, his heart is breaking because he stands in the middle and he's crushed by it. Now, maybe I need to draw you a picture But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a Jeremiah. You have entered into the holiness of God. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ. So you cannot escape, friends, how righteous and holy and just He is. And you cannot live in this world and close your eyes and say it's all okay. If you are a man or a woman of God, you cannot help but feel the power of His holiness, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, and you can't look in this world and say, it's all all right like this. But at the same time, because you are connected to the holiness of God, it is very real for many of us to feel the stubborn resistance of our friends, our family, our community. And what Jeremiah is, is revealing is it can be crushing. But let me tell you, God never lets anyone be crushed without purpose. The crushing that Jeremiah went through, we are still studying 2,600 years later. God does not waste your sorrows. He does not allow anything to go through your life that he isn't gonna, he's not going to make glorified in you. Think about this. When Jesus went to the cross, what did he say? He didn't say glorify me. He said glorify what I'm doing. What does that mean? He said, God, make this matter. Give this weight. See, when you stay in the middle and you don't run away from the crushing, then God can take your pain. God can take your hurt. He can take your feelings and he can turn it into glory. He can make it matter. But when you run away, you've said it doesn't matter. You've made it to where it doesn't have any significance. It only matters if you lean in. You're like, man, I wish I hadn't come this morning. (laughs) 
But the second thing is this. When God is also working his purposes out for others through you, he is always working his purposes in you. He has always got a curriculum for taking you out of your superficiality, out of your not-so-deep faith, to taking you into a deep encounter with God. Again, if you resist, he will let you. But he will always bring you right back to the place where you got distracted. He never forgets. He allows no detours. He always goes, go right back to the start. Do it again. And he has this horrible memory <laughs> of where you left. Listen how powerful the holiness and the righteousness of God is when particularly dealing with a fragmented society. The Judah at one point was not fragmented. It knew what was right and wrong. At one point it knew who his God was, who his Savior was. But now they have become a fragmented society. And a fragmented society is basically this, where all the big questions are not being answered by a relationship with God, but all the big questions are being answered by everybody else's heart. See the questions like, what gives me significance? How do I really matter? What's my purpose? What's right? What's wrong? What's true? What's false? And when a society begins to say, we will determine what's right and wrong, what's true and false, we will determine our own significance, then it's a fragmented society. And so Jeremiah is being crushed because he has a singleness of heart for God, but he is living in a people who are stubbornly resistant to God. This is one of the hardest chapters in all of the Bible, chapter 11 of Jeremiah. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read it to you today because I want you to hear it. Therefore, this is God speaking, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or a prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen. Can you imagine hearing God speak to you and say, don't pray for your family. Don't pray for your community because no matter how much you pray, how much you cry out, I will not listen. That is, that is just shocking, isn't it? Because you know why he won't listen? Because they only call to me in their time of trouble. That's the only time they call is when they're desperate. Then he says this, what right has my beloved in my house? Here's what he's saying. I'm a husband. I have a wife who's cheating on me but she still wants to come home and have me take care of her. He's saying, why are you at the temple? Why are you in your synagogues? Why are you doing your sacrifices? Your real gods are your real lover gods, not me. And yet you show up. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done so many vile deeds? Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exalt the Lord once called you? This is how the Lord wants to look at his beloved. You're a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. But with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts who planted you has decreed disaster against you because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger, 
by making offerings to Baal. Now, the reason I had, you, had us read this together is this. This is God's heart. He has been broken and betrayed. He is brokenhearted over his people. But see, God could feel that and you and I not know it. What he's done is he's revealed it to one man. He's revealed it to Jeremiah. Jeremiah has to carry this. And as he carries it, it is breaking him. Because this, this is his family. This is his village. These are his friends. Probably all of them are cousins in some way, you know? And so then he says this, because it gets worse. I'm, I'm just going to make it worse and worse today. The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes. Saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name may be remembered no more. I don't know if you're understanding this, but basically what he's saying is they don't want to hear what God's saying, but they figure if they can kill the messenger, you can kill the message. So the idea here is if you can just get rid of Jeremiah, there won't be any of this negativity anymore. Now, if you don't know people do this and how, how they see things, let me give you a little, little picture from my life. So often what happens is I, I like to do things and not tell people I'm a pastor. Right, so I play tennis or I play golf with people. I don't tell them I'm a pastor. So I mean they are swearing up a storm. <laughs> they are teaching me new swear words. And somebody will come up and go, oh, Pastor Mike. And they'll go, oh, my gosh. It's as if God wasn't there. So I'm almost afraid they're going to kill me to get rid of God. You know, it's funny with people. God was there the whole time, but suddenly if Pastor Mike's there, now God's really there, I guess. I don't know. This is the idea they have. If we can just get rid of the messenger, we'll get rid of the message. The problem is truth stays true whether people speak it or not. Amen. So here, Jeremiah cries out. He says, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And none of them shall be left. For I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. Again, I just remind you, this is the village he's from. These are his cousins. These are his aunts, his uncles. These are his relatives. And they are saying, this message is so damaging to us, we want and have to kill our cousin. We have to kill our nephew. We have to get rid of him. Getting rid of him is the only way we'll ever be happy. That's how powerful it is. Now, let's kind of draw some things for our own lives and for the, from the life of Jeremiah. Number one, it's really easy to see that when people don't want the truth, to speak the truth is dangerous. But especially the idea of living the truth in a society or a community that does not want to face the truth. And what we see often is, is that this is the, 
default setting of people's hearts, that they love the lies more than they love the truth. God knew this. He understood this even as he sent Jeremiah to speak the truth. Think about this for a minute. Once you know the truth and people resist you, then do you go to a lie? Then do you stop believing the truth because there's resistance? No, the truth stays the same even when there's resistance. But notice what God says about his people. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. See, there were people who called themselves prophets who had the exact opposite message of Jeremiah, and the people loved them. The people wanted to hear them. They wanted to kill Jeremiah. The problem was God was speaking through Jeremiah, and Satan was speaking through the others. But they wanted the false, not the true. They wanted the priest who did not submit to God, but ruled at their own direction, And here's what breaks the heart of God. My people love to have it so. And then he says, but what are they going to do when the end comes and they find out that they've been listening to lies? Here's one of the toughest things for you, for me. It's both to hear the truth and to speak the truth. It's tough to tell people the truth. It's tough to... To, to recognize that sometimes what you have to say to someone is offensive. Our Lord Jesus faced this. He said it this way. It's a powerful passage in John 8. He goes to the religious leaders and he says, If you knew God, you would know me. But because you don't know me, my only conclusion is you don't know God. You see, they had done everything. They knew the law. They were devout. They were orthodox. They were compliant in every way, but they didn't know God. Because if they had known God, they would have welcomed his son. So here's what Jesus said. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. It's the truth itself that then creates A spiritual atmosphere in your life is what Jesus is saying. See, when you reject the truth, you don't go into neutral. You go into unbelief. And when you go into unbelief, then every lie can attach. Here's the problem with the lies. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. And he's the father of lies. I love it when people say, don't give the devil so much credit. Jesus gave him credit for every lie. Because if he's the father, then every lie has his DNA in it. So when you're not believing the truth, you have the DNA of Satan in your heart. Because every lie comes from the father of lies. Is it just you're uncomfortable with what I just said? Or are you hearing it? You understand this is a real, this is the real battle. Now, the demons may manifest in all kinds of crazy ways, but all they're trying to do is to reinforce the lies. Because what did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, which means you shall encounter the truth, experience the truth, apply the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But you see, though God could heal, his tendency is to only heal what you're willing to reveal. If you're unwilling to reveal it, then he often holds back the healing. Because 
you need to be ready for the truth. And the truth is, you can't repent unless you know what's true and you know what's false. And repentance isn't, I got caught. Repentance is when you realize, this is just not the way to go. This just doesn't work. This is not true. And you begin to hold on to the truth. This is the spiritual battle. So, you might be like Jeremiah in many ways, that you're in the middle of the relentless holiness and justice of God, and you're in the midst of a stubborn resistance of this world and the people that you love. But you have to be open to the truth. And you can't turn away from the truth just because the truth is tough or because it's hard. You have to go deep in order to soar with God. So what is Jeremiah? You tracking with me so far? So what does Jeremiah teach us about how to have overcoming faith? Overcoming faith is what you were made for. That which is born of God must overcome the world. And this is the faith that overcomes the world. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order to have overcoming faith, you have to have emotional integrity. I'm not talking about total emotional healing. I'm not talking about total emotional purity or anything else. I'm talking about emotional honesty. I cannot tell you the number of people who said to me with a loud raised voice, I am not angry. I got to tell you, the number of people with twitching eyes says, I'm not anxious, I'm not worried. Do you understand? You cannot get healed if you won't let it be revealed. You can't keep holding on to a lie and be healed by the truth. So what does the Bible teach us? It says, get honest with God. Man, the great, the great people of the Bible were honest. They let God have it. Now, you might say, well, some of the philosophers, the existentialists, the nihilists, they let God have it. Yeah, but do you understand? They're talking about God. Everyone in the Bible is talking to God. They do not break the connection. They bring their complaints to God. How do I know it? Look at, look at this verse. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. I don't need a lot of translation and understanding here. He's complaining. Come on. But he's complaining to the right person. Most of you complain in the parking lot, on your cell phones. Nobody on the other line is going to help you. But when you complain to the Creator... When you complain to the Savior, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God, then you're complaining to the right one. Look at how he complains. I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You are near in their mouth and far from their heart, but you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. They said he will not see our latter end. I love this. Smite them, Lord. <laughs> you never felt that before? Where he just wanted somebody to, you know, get a Star Trek evaporation from the face of the earth? That's what he's saying here. Do you understand? He's being honest before God. And why not? God already knows. You're, you're restraining yourself with God is not going to give you healing. Being free before God to say, I'm hurt. I'm angry. 
I'm disappointed, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. He already knows, but when you are honest about it, you get the healing. Because then he can speak into those places. Look, I'm not talking about the stupid choices you make that bring stupid consequences. Those are your fault. I mean, come on, at some point in your life, you've got to realize there are consequences to dumb decisions. And you usually have to bear the brunt of those. This isn't talking about that. that this is talking about the fact that once you mature enough to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you with my whole heart, all hell seems to break loose. And suddenly you're suffering for things you know you're innocent of. Things you know are not fair. And the cry of your heart is, God, this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. And what God is saying is, through Jeremiah, say it to me. Speak it out loud. Share your heart with me. He said it to Job, Habakkuk. He says it to Jeremiah here. Even Jesus. He, Jesus prayed in such a way that he sweated blood because his emotions were so strong. Well, what does this mean then? Well, it means that God is developing in you and through you a trust in Him that allows you to trust Him in the midst of ambiguity. You see, the really overcoming faith is never going to have all the answers. It's not even going to know all the purposes for which you're going through what you're going through. Do you not see that we are studying, and it is as relevant today as it was that day, a book, a, a, a prophet who lived 2,600 years ago. And his pain is still our pain. What you got to understand is God cannot, will not be able to fully explain to you all he's going to accomplish through what he's putting you through. But when you start to trust Him, then not only are you redeemed, but your life becomes impactful for generations to come. You are not just going through your life for you. You are going through your life for glory to come to God for generations after you. One man, one woman can change a whole family. One person can change a whole community. Do you understand? No one was seeking after God in Jeremiah's day. Only Jeremiah had the heart of God, and it was weighing heavily on him. But God honored Jeremiah to give him his holiness in his heart. And Jeremiah could not understand how that which he was going through would make such a difference for the whole world. See, the problem for most of us is we have this worldly view of suffering. We tend to say, if you're guilty, you suffer. So if you're suffering, you must be guilty. And we often say to one another, oh man, things are going for you. You must be living right. Sometimes I'll hit a good golf shot and they'll go, man, you must be praying right. And I, they never say, man, you're a great athlete. They just, I'm offended by that now that I think about it. You know, that's not the biblical concept of suffering. The book of Job helps us to understand what Jeremiah is talking about here and how God responds to Jeremiah. 
You see, we have a whole behind-the-scenes look at Job. Do you know God never told Job it was Satan who did all those things to him? He never revealed Satan's activity at all in Job's life. He didn't even reveal to Job ever the purpose of his suffering. But here's what is revealed to us. Satan says, no one loves you for you, God. They only love you for what you do for them. You take away your blessings, they won't love you. They'll only love you for what you give them. And so the book of Job is a picture of what's going on. If you're a follower of Jesus, Satan has said about you, you only love God for the blessings. You only love God for the riches, for your health, for your relationships. Take those relationships away, those riches away. Test you in your health. Test you in these places. Satan says, you won't love God. You only love him for the blessings. And so Job went through this whole trial. And what he proved in the trial, and God himself vindicated Job and said, Job, you love me for me. Do you understand? Everything you're going through right now is a, is a pruning and a refining of your heart so that you will learn to love God for God, not for what God can give you. God, in his power, could give you anything, but in his wisdom, he knows exactly what to give you so that it proves to you and it reveals in your life that you love God for God. Job, though, having won that battle, having defeated Satan's suspicions and accusations, in the end, the last two chapters of the book, it says he was restored. Double. He didn't get double kids. I think his wife had something to do with that. <laughs> but he got double everything else. A lot of people hate those chapters. Do you know why? Because they want to believe there is no God who restores. They want to say, my ambiguity is all that there is. But we who are Christians, we believe those last two chapters are essential because they tell us that in our ambiguity, God wins. Oh man, only one of you gets amen on that? Are you not going through ambiguous things right now? Are you not going through things you're going, this is crushing and I don't even know what the purpose is? But see, if you trust in the ambiguity and you say, Job tells me God wins, therefore I win. And you hold on and you lean in and you don't run away. It's so interesting because we live in a society that writes a book that says, why do bad things happen to good people? The Bible says there are no good people. Jesus said it this way. He said, no one is good but God. So there are no good people. How does the Bible say? The Bible says, why in the world do bad, good things ever happen for these bad people? Why do the wicked flourish? That's really, that's really the biblical cry here that Jeremiah says, because sometimes what happens is it seems like you've done everything right, and that person over there has everything. You have nothing. Or you have not enough. And they have so much. You see, only if you trust God in the ambiguity can you overcome. Do you know when Job said to God, give me an answer. Tell me why this is happening to me. Tell me what the purpose of this is. Do you know what God said? Job, were you there when I 
laid the foundations of the earth, when I made east and west and north and south. Job, did you create the seas and swaddle it with the clouds? Job, when you can do those things, then you could probably understand my answer. You know what Job answered at that? He didn't say, you got some splaining to do, God. You know what he said? I repent. These are things too wonderful for me. What you and I don't understand is that unless you have a God who's so big you can't understand him, he's not really God. He's a God of your imagination, not the God of revelation. And so what we have to... Actually, that was pretty good, and only three of you did. <laughs> I, see, I don't even remember these later, so I... They come in the moment, I'm like, gosh, what was that I said? So how does God respond to the cry of Jeremiah? This is where it gets really personal, friends. Please listen to these three things. God's response is everything here. When you're in the midst of this ambiguity, when you're being asked to trust God and you don't understand why, here's God's response. Basically, he says this. You haven't seen anything yet. You think this is bad? It's about to get bad. See, He's not beholden to your complaining. He's not obligated to your discomfort. What he is obligated to is what he's promised you. Here's what he says to Jeremiah. If this trips you up, how are you going to run with the horses? It's a beautiful passage. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? If in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan for even your brothers in the house of your father, even they dwell treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. Have you never had this happen to you? That everybody made a presentation or an appearance like everything was okay. Oh, we love you. Oh, you're great. And they leave and go into the parking lot or on the telephone or whatever. And they are destroying you. One of the things I love about New York is most of you destroy me to my face, so I don't have a problem there. <laughs> you complain, you're going to complain to my face. But I grew up in the South. No one says what they mean. The song for that was smiling faces. They lie, lie, lie. Kind of a thing. You know, and yeah, that's right. I, you're, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. You're as ugly as dirt, but bless your heart kind of thing. <laughs> As if that's okay. This is what he's saying. He's saying you can't trust other people to be the source of your joy, of your life, of your strength, or your power. But you've got to trust in me. And the thing that God is trying to say here is you're not a mere woman. You're not a mere man. You're not like others. You weren't made to simply collapse when trouble comes. You were made to live above the world, not under the power and, and pile of the world. You see, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in every believer. We are called to run with the horses, not be tripped by the men. Does that resonate with you? Well, he says, if the slightest things make you complain, then how will you run? 
if you can be tripped by this didn't work out and this person betrayed me and this person's complaining about me and this person criticized me, how will you run when those things destroy you? So in a sense, you've got you've to have a more realistic view of what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be a Christ follower. You know what he says in Romans 8:28? He says, in all things. So in other words, nothing is really excluded because you're a Christian. And he wants you to run if you have cancer. He wants you to run if you have less money than other people. He wants you to run if, you're, if your boss is a jerk. He wants you to run if your family's in disarray. He wants you to run with the horses because your running can make a difference. Listen to me on this, please. Here's the difference. In some small way, Jeremiah is experiencing and crying out because he's feeling the same abandonment of the people that God feels. You understand, this trial that Jeremiah's going through, the trials that you're going through, they are God honoring you, not ignoring you. He is saying, I believe you can run with the horses. So I've put you in this place to train you to run. But he's saying even more than that, do you understand? Our God is a broken-hearted God. He has passion for his people, and his people have betrayed him, abandoned him. Do you understand? It's not just Christians. He loves the whole world. It doesn't say for God so loved those who would love him back. It said God so loved what? The world. And what did he do to prove it? He gave his only begotten son. Come on. And what he's saying is when you're hurting, it's not really about you. But you and I, when we hurt, we go, oh God, get this off of me. Change this person. Get rid of them. Smitest thou them. Somehow in King James, it sounds better. I don't know why. <laughs> All right, but what does God feel? See, I want you to understand, He honors you so much, He lets you feel what He feels. Our God is not a dispassionate God. Our God's not an it. He's a person. And He has the brokenness of a person. He's, he's, there's a sadness because His people have turned away. Look at what He says. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, therefore I hate her. Notice that. Therefore I hate her. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it a desolation. Desolate, it mourns for me, to me. The whole land is made desolate. Here's a break heart kind of statement. No man lays it to heart. In other words, no one cares. No one cares. Now, there's a phrase here, I hate her, that you need, to, you need to hear. See, a lot of us, we have this really kind of evangelical cliche, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Your theology needs to expand a little bit here. God says, I hate her. This is the word of God. This is the revelation of God. And if you say to me, and maybe you will, how can God love and hate? How can there be love and hate in the same heart. Well, if you ask that question, you've never been a parent. Because there's no one you love more than your kids, and there's no one you'd rather kill than your kids. <laughs> Billy Graham was asked one time about 
his wife Ruth, he says, have you ever thought about, they said, have you ever thought about divorcing your wife? He said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> what many of us don't really realize is when you hate someone, they still matter enough for you to hate them. They're still significant enough that you're still in the emotional radar with them. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Because now you say, you don't even matter. You're not even significant enough that I care about you whatsoever. That's why a lot of times it hurts more if somebody says, I just don't care. Whatever. Those are, those are some of the hardest of words. And God's saying to his people, you have broken my heart. You have abandoned me. And Jeremiah is feeling it because he's carrying the burden of the Lord. What do you think Paul means when he says, be joined in the fellowship of his suffering? That somehow you or I might, you know, every now and then go through a little bit of stuff where we suffer? No, if you are an intimate of God, you are carrying the burden of God. And the burden's for your family, it's for your community, it's for your workers, co-workers, it's for everybody that he cares for. And if you shut that off and say, I don't want that pain, basically you're saying, I don't want what you want to share with me. See, he wants to share his burden. He wants you to carry it with him. And the truth is, if you're willing to do so, you'll change the world. Jeremiah was the only one willing to carry that burden. He's the only one. Well, this is the last one. He's being crushed by that burden. Just a little bit of what God goes through was crushing to Jeremiah. And so, in a way, he's incredibly short-sighted because all he can see is how much pain he has. And what God is always doing with your pain is he's always, he always has a long view. Listen to what he says. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I've given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them. And I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. But if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. What you may not realize as I read that is that's about you. That's you. You see, the nations around Israel, Judah, around Palestine, the, the tribes, the families who are outside of Judah, God is saying, I'm going to bring them. I'm going to bring them back. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying the pain Jeremiah is carrying is so that a group of people in New City could know God. What he had to carry in the short term has provided long-term salvation for you and for me. How do you not realize then that when you're in pain, it may not be about you at all? It may be one, he's training you to run with the horses instead of to be tripped up by men. It may be, too, that finally you have something so beautiful in your life that God has shared his broken heart with you and he's asked you to carry it with him. 
And so your pain is not a disgrace, it's an honor. But even more than that, do you know what it costs to really bring salvation to resistant people? It takes a broken servant. Even as Jeremiah had to carry the the pain of his people so the word would go forth and so the, the revelation of God would continue, how much more the Lord Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, had to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Him. See, it's not simply the guilty suffer and the innocent don't. For the one who was truly innocent suffered. He was rejected in your place. He was despised in your place. The treatment you deserve, He got. So that now the treatment He deserves is yours. And if He asks you, For your family, would you carry some of my pain? For the sake of your community, would you learn to run with the horses? Instead of just going, oh God, take me out of this situation, out of this pain, would you say, oh God, glorify this moment. Give it weight, give it matter, because that's what Jesus did. He said, Father, glorify this hour. Father said, I have glorified it, and I will. Do you know what glorifying an hour means? To give it weight. In other words, if you're going to be in pain, give it weight. If you're going to go through something, make it matter. Have it count. Will you stand with me? Are you hearing me today? Would you close your eyes with me? In the worship time, the Spirit of the Lord was here so powerfully. Many of the phrases were loaded with prophetic significance. But one of them that I want you to, I want you to take hold of right now. I go back to the start and I open my heart. What's the real issue when we've been through pain and trials? Jesus says you lose your first love. You think about winning. You think about outcomes. You think about all these different things. And Jesus always says, go back to the start. Open up your heart. It grieved God so much when he says, and no one cares. No one lays open their heart. Could you give him that and be that ingredient in the pleasure of God today by saying, Lord, I open my heart. Would you say this with me? Lord, I go back to the start. You are my first love. And I open up my heart so that I never lose that first love. Let that come. And even if it... <laughs> You say, wow, you gave us a prophecy that more is going to happen to us. Because Jeremiah, basically the answer was, you haven't seen anything yet. Would you receive the word of the Lord that says you were made to run with the horses, not be tripped up by men? You're not a mere woman. You're not a mere man. You're a woman of God. You're a man of God. It is crushing at times. But only through crushing does the olive become olive oil. 
Only through crushing do the grapes become wine. He will not waste your sorrows. Lord, I seal what you're doing now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look, I think, are you, you with me today? Sometimes these are just for me. That's okay. I get a lot out of it. So, uh, but I think today the Lord has some stuff that he's saying to you. Please, don't, don't run out yet. We've got some people, our elders are here, prayer people are here. We'll pray with you about this. I, I think some of you have some of this crushing. And you're not to go through it alone. Jeremiah had to go through it alone, but Jesus has provided a church for you, a church family, a community, and people who've been through it with you. I mean, I, I know if you listen to me, it's not just because I know the scriptures or I've studied. I've lived through this. This is... This is what has carried me through the most difficult times of my life. Please don't go through this alone. If you're being crushed today, then make it count. Let God glorify the crushing. So I got, I'll ask the elders and staff and others to come. Would you come and pray before you leave today? Just have a word with the Lord before you go. Give him this pain. Give him the crushing. Speak honestly. In Jesus' name, come and do that today. God bless you. Glad you were here today. Hug a few people for me, please.